One of the things, one of the things that I love about this Christmas Eve service is that it gives us a chance to remember that the birth of Jesus is a part of a larger story. The story that begins on page one in the Bible with the creation of the entire world by God. And it culminates on the final page of the Bible with the renewal of all things as the ultimate consequence of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now this is an amazing claim that the Bible tells the true story of the world. And in fact, this is the most important thing that can be said about the Bible, that it is first and foremost, the true story of the world. And this is the whole point of Christianity. Christianity offers a story, which is the true story of the whole world. And the birth of Jesus, followed by his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, this is the climactic moment of that story. And so tonight, on Christmas Eve, as we focus in on Jesus' birth, it's like we're looking into a mirror that shows the truth. A mirror that shows the truth about us and about the world and about God. To begin with, Jesus was born in the middle of a mess. I mean, think about what his parents were going through. Before Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph lived and worked in the northern highlands of Galilee in the village of Nazareth. And Nazareth was where Mary was expecting to give birth in the comfort of her own home with trusted people around her. She probably didn't have the resources to prepare a nursery for her baby, but we can imagine how she nested in other ways, maybe gathering various baby items from neighbors, having a local midwife on call. But then came a detour, Caesar's global decree. All were required to journey to their ancestral villages in order to be registered, no exceptions not even for expecting mothers. So Joseph and Mary were forced to leave home and work and synagogue and the trusted midwives of Nazareth and make the long, difficult journey south to Bethlehem. A 90-mile trip on foot without paved roads south along the flatlands of the Jordan River, then west over the hills surrounding Jerusalem, and then on into Bethlehem. It would have been a grueling trip, uphill and downhill. We know that at this point in time, people could travel at maximum about 10 miles a day on foot. I'm sorry, about 20 miles a day on foot. But at this time of the year, in this particular location for a pregnant woman, it would have been about 10 miles a day. So we're talking something like seven or eight or nine days straight of walking. No paved roads, but there were lions and bears and wild boars in a notorious stretch through a forest of bandits and robbers. The trip was more than a nuisance. It was risky and dangerous. Mary and Joseph must have felt utterly out of control 
all of their plans for the childbirth were upended by this detour from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I think we all know something of how that must have felt having just gone through COVID. Despite the major advances our world has achieved in medical science, we are still at the mercy of viruses that can cause epidemics and even pandemics. Many of us are not where we had hoped to be this Christmas, whether in terms of geography or career or relationships, we feel detoured by powers and events and experiences beyond our control. And yet, as unexpected as this detour must have felt to Mary and Joseph, it nevertheless put Jesus right where he was supposed to be. The Messiah couldn't be born in Nazareth. The world had been waiting for a thousand years for the stump of Jesse to produce a new branch, a righteous descendant of King David. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to be born in David's royal city. So no matter what Mary and Joseph had planned, no matter what Caesar the emperor had decreed or Quirinius the governor required, God had determined where Jesus would be born. Bethlehem was not a detour at the end of the day. It was the destination. And God would have you know the same about your story. He's not surprised by where you are at the end of the pandemic. No matter how much your present situation feels like a detour, God knows your current address. Despite whatever pain or obstacles and disappointments you may be facing, God is calling you closer to himself and into his service even now. He wants to walk alongside you right where you are. He has work for you to do as an ambassador of his kingdom, not where you thought you would be, but where you find yourself now. Which brings us to a second thing we see when we look into the mirror of Jesus' birth. Think about how Jesus' arrival seems to be so ill-timed and ill-fated. It's great that his parents' detour to Bethlehem meant that the son of David was born in Bethlehem. But at that point in time, a thousand years after King David, there were hundreds, if not thousands of men living who could trace their own ancestry back to David. But it didn't matter. The Romans were firmly in control. And they had their puppet, Herod, who was not descended from David, claiming to be Israel's rightful king. And just in case there was any doubt, notice how Jesus was received in Bethlehem. This is Luke chapter two, verse seven. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a, a manger, a feeding trough for an animal because there was no space for them in the inn, in the guest room. So Bethlehem may have been home to David a thousand years earlier, but it surely did not feel like home to Mary and Joseph. Jesus was born in exile, 
With a few notable exceptions, his hometown received him with either indifference or outright hostility. And then he and his family fled to Egypt to escape Herod's madness. And when they eventually returned, it was to Nazareth, not to his hometown, not to Beth. It it was not to Nazareth. It was to Nazareth, not to Bethlehem, his hometown. Now, our church is full of people who feel like exiles. So many of the people in our church are from different places, different backgrounds, different classes, different political parties, different denominations, different generations and vocations, different parts of Virginia, different parts of the country. And one of the things that binds our community together is that to one degree or another, we feel like exiles. We're not fully at home. And it's because of this sense of displacement that so many people in our church feel most at home with people who also don't feel quite at home. I don't think anyone in our church experiences this more acutely than our teenagers. They are regularly forced to choose between either deadly conformity or social exclusion, either blending in by rejecting their faith or the deep loneliness that comes from being different from everyone else. It's always been difficult, but now all the more so because of social media which is why one of our top priorities over the next several years is going to be to nurture a robust support system for our teenagers. We want to help them know and follow Jesus day by day as they navigate between conformity and exile. Jesus knows what it's like to live in exile. He lived it daily from his birth in Bethlehem on that first Christmas to his death on the first Good Friday in Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John, we're told this right up front. John chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus' first sermon at his hometown synagogue, the people of Nazareth try to throw him off a cliff. And from that point on, the opposition to Jesus only grows until finally he's arrested in Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus came on a mission to be enthroned as the son of David, but he lived his entire life in exile and he was ultimately executed as an enemy of the state. Jesus' whole life, birth to death, appears to have been wasted in exile. But despite all of that, despite his humiliation and suffering and brutal murder, he accomplished what he was sent to do. Jesus was heaven's senior ambassador, sent to our world, what C.S. Lewis calls the silent planet, because all diplomatic relations with heaven had been severed for as long as anyone could remember. In Jesus's life and ministry, He opposed the brutality of Satan's deadly rule and he bore witness to an alternative kingdom, a life-giving kingdom. In his dying, he conquered death and in his rising to eternal life, he inaugurated God's heavenly kingdom come. So now those of us who follow Jesus, we live 
in the same tension that Jesus was born into, that Jesus lived his life in, as Christ emissaries in a world that regards Christians as exiles. The old regime is still grasping for control, doing all it can to keep God's kingdom from spreading. Christians regularly suffer because of this. Yet the battle was won long ago in Jesus's life and death and resurrection. The gates of hell will not prevail against King Jesus and his bride, the church. Our mission, it's his mission. We will not be exiles forever because Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And on that day, the church will finally be at home. Which leads us to one last look into the mirror of Jesus' birth. Here in Luke 2, we learn that the first to hear about Jesus' birth are the lowly shepherds working the night shift in the fields surrounding Bethlehem. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now, it strikes me, the angel did not command the shepherds to go and see. He invited them. He invited them by telling them not to be afraid. Telling them that the Messiah's birth was good news not bad news, telling them how they would recognize him. Now look, we're not told why the angel was sent to shepherds. All we know is that they were given this message and then in verse 16, they went in haste to see for themselves. And in verse 17, they went around sharing the good news. This same pattern reverberates from here out in the story the Bible tells. We do not know why Jesus visits some and not others. All we're told again and again is that whoever he encounters is invited to enter into his kingdom and to invite others to do the same. So the same message comes to you now. It's God's gift for you this Christmas. How will you respond? Fear not. This gift is not bad news. It's good news of great joy. Jesus is savior. That's good news. He's savior for all people. The shepherds ran in haste to see him. How about you? God is still speaking from Luke chapter two. His message has now come to you. How will you respond? God calls you to give your heart and your full allegiance to his son, the righteous heir of David's throne and the true king of heaven and earth. Let's pray.